morning. Hey, I'm Craig. That's when you say hi back. I don't know if you... Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Uh, hey, how is God moving toward you this morning? How is God moving toward you this morning? I had a couple odd experiences a couple years ago, and they were really close together. And I, I, as I thought about them, I could see how they were related. Uh, experience number one, I was meeting with a young man. Uh, we went out to breakfast at the greatest diner in Columbia. It was Ernie's. Thank you. Yeah. No, Waffle House. Who said Waffle House? <laughs> Bye. Like, no way. You end up at Waffle House. You don't go to Waffle House. <laughs> that place just tastes sad. That place just tastes like depression. Waffle House. <laughs> so I'm out for breakfast, and here's what he says. Here's what he says. He's like, hey, I just... I. I just have a question. I, I'm having a hard time with you and with your church and all this stuff, and I just need your help figuring some of this out. I said, okay. He said, I don't, I leave church feeling good, and that feels wrong. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I leave church feeling assured and good, and that feels wrong. Are you like a Joel Osteen? And look, I was like, I'm sure Joel Osteen's like a lovely human being, loves his wife and kids and all that jazz, but like we're kind of different. So that was a little weird, right? I was just like, I don't know what to make of that. What does that mean? Like you leave church feeling good and that feels wrong. Couple days later, somebody else takes me out. They look me right in the eye. They're like this. They're just like, you need to work harder to let people know just how, and this is the word he used, rotten people are. Okay, so I have one person telling me he feels bad because he leaves church feeling good. He's not sure what to do about it. I have another person saying, I need to work harder to make people feel rotten. And I was just like, this is a puzzle, and I bet we can put it together, but I just don't know how to do it. So I was meeting with an older pastor friend of mine. He's a mentor. And I, I just was sharing. I said, look, like some guy told me I need to work harder to make people feel rotten. And he just starts laughing. And now I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> I don't know if I get people in church. Like, what is going on? Like, this is just really confusing. And he says to me, Craig, I've been a pastor a really long time. Walked with Jesus all these years. In my experience as a pastor, you do not have to work hard to help people feel rotten. <laughs> they feel it. They know. They know. And that affirms my experience. In my experience of a pastor of a local church, right, that's what this is, that's what we're doing, local church. My experience as a pastor of a local church, I don't have to look hard for people who feel like they're the problem and they're unworthy of love. Let me say that a little differently. It's easy in church to find people who feel that they're the problem and they're unworthy of love. So when I ask the question, how is God moving toward you this morning? They're like, yeah, I would agree that God moves toward humanity in a broad sense. My neighbor definitely, definitely moves toward my neighbor. God really loves my neighbor. God really loves people generally. But me, how is God moving toward me individually? I don't know how to answer that. Here's also what I found in church, that there's a lot of people who read their Bibles a lot, who pray, who do really beautiful spiritual disciplines, and that doesn't seem 
to get at that nagging feeling. It doesn't seem to really, ah, like something's not right and I keep trying and I keep working hard and I keep doing these disciplines that are good and life-giving and I do them every day. But it just doesn't seem to erase this nagging feeling that I'm not enough and that, yeah, God loves people, but does he love me? And oh, does it feel feels wrong to even ask that? What about sin and ah? We've been talking about in this series how John's gospel is 21 chapters, 21 chapters of a wedding invitation saying, will you marry Jesus? Will you enter into this spiritual marriage, this commitment where you pledge your allegiance to Jesus? If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you don't want to miss these weeks, folks. Go back and listen to last week where we talked about when John talks about believe. He's not just saying, I believe in Jesus. There was a Jesus. There, he lived all these years ago. He did stuff. He rose. I believe that. It's not what John's after. John is after, hey, I, just like in a wedding when you pledge your fidelity. Fidelity, we get the word faith from fidelity. Sola fide, faith alone. When we pledge our fidelity to Jesus, we're entering into a spiritual marriage where he's the groom, we're the bride. And we talked about how John's gospel is bookended on these. It starts with a wedding at Cana, where Jesus takes the place of the groom, the disciples are the place of the bride, and at the end of the wedding, the disciples believe in Jesus. They pledge their allegiance. And it ends on a beach where Jesus is talking to one of those disciples who pledged his allegiance, but who fell flat on his face. And Jesus says, do you love me? See, uh, I didn't go to art school, but I do have a Bob Ross (laughs) t-shirt. I think this is how a lot of us feel about our lives. We get stuck in these moments. We fall in these holes where these things we said we'd never do, we do. Thoughts we said we never had, those sins we said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm done with that. That's behind me. I know better. Oh. We fall in those holes, and all we see is a person in a hole, right? We see that grandmother who her kids are moving across the country and they're taking grandbabies away. And there's anger. And we feel that, and it's real, and it's right in front of us. And then we start to think that's our whole lives. I'm just an angry person. That's what's behind me. That's what's ahead of me. I'm just angry. We see we're a single banker, and we're really frustrated that people keep trying to introduce us to their friends, right? Like, leave me alone. I'm a lonely person. I define being alone. We just see those moments. But what if God actually sees the whole picture? Not just us in a whole, but he sees the whole picture. This morning we're going to look at the whole picture of Jesus' marriage proposal. Because if we know where we're heading, if we know how this marriage is going to end, that makes the commitment all the more easier. Remember last week we talked about that creepy uncle who pulls you aside before the wedding He's like, look, you're going to marry this person, but in a couple months, they're going to get cancer. 
You know how expensive cancer is? Those doctor bills, they're going to come in, you're going to be broke, and you're going to have a sixth spouse. Oh, and by the way, your mother-in-law, yeah? You know how you don't like her? She's going to get early onset dementia, and she's going to move in with you in your tiny little apartment. Still want to get married? Yeah, yeah. John flips that a little bit and says, hey, look, if I can show you how this marriage is going to end, where you, you, have these, you have this narrative that's like, I'm not enough. Commit to Jesus. I'll try. I can do that. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll commit to Jesus. I'll put my name on the card. I'll sign up. I hope I have what it takes. Like, the people, the people in the pews beside me, they definitely have what it takes. But, if I, but I'll, if I stay around them, maybe I'll muster up what it has to take. And we get to look at what happened when a disciple who thought he had what it takes didn't. And we see what happens with Jesus. And we see Jesus moving toward that disciple. And, and, and there's hope. If Jesus can move toward Peter in his failure, in his shame, there might be hope for us. There might be hope that God is actually looking for us. That he's moving toward us. Look, there's a lot of language in John's gospel about believe in Jesus, right? Believe in Jesus. John uses that word, believe in Jesus, over 90 times, around 90 times. But there's also this interesting phrase that John uses, and it may make some of us uncomfortable at first, but there's a passage that talks about Jesus believing in us. You're like, What? It's John 2, 24 through 25. The NIV translates it like this, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them. This is uh, Jesus cleanses the temple. They're like, let's make him our political Messiah. Let's have him be our hero. We, let's sign up for two. And he says, I'm not going to commit myself to you for that. I'm not going to believe in you. John shows us how this wedding proposal, which again, it's the first date of all first dates, the wedding at Cana. I'm here to make all things new. Will you be my bride? Will you go in this new creation with me? Falls on the face, and then we get to see what happens when Jesus believes in us, when he's committed to us. And the hope that we have here is when Jesus commits to us, it changes our identity. It changes our identity. It changes who we are. Because remember, behavior flows out of our identity. All right, behavior comes from our character, our maturity levels, but that comes from our identity. Who am I? Who are my people? What's it like for us to behave in these type of situations? Jesus, with Peter's failure, is going after identity, and he says this, you're still mine. You're still my bride. I love you. I'm for you. I'm coming after you. And if we can see what it looks like when Jesus entrusts himself to us, when he believes in us, when he moves toward us, we can trust that Jesus is faithful and we can make the type of commitment to say, I'm in. Whether it's your first time or your 51st time, I'll commit to recommitting. I'm going to stay in this marriage. I'm in Jesus. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 21. John chapter 21, it's the end of the book of John. John chapter 21, what's happening? The disciples have gone fishing. 
They've gone fishing and there's a stranger on the beach. John chapter 21. It's 25 verses. I know you're in. I know you're going to be totally paying attention for all 25 of those verses. But just because it's like still winter out there, let's stand. The heart can only endure what the backside can contain. All right? They really taught me that in seminary. That's a real thing they taught me. John chapter 21. Here we go. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So there's seven disciples here. I'm going to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Wow, is right, yeah. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, Oh, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Thanks, Peter. We've got to lug these fish in. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. That's going to be really important later. Just remember that, a fire of burning coals. And this part is also going to be important. There with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of them dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The, ter- the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, You know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. 
but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. That's a reference to crucifixion. You stretch out your hands. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would have been written. This is the word of the Lord. God, we know your word doesn't return void. So God, I pray that your word would be working on our hearts and our spirits to really trust that you're moving toward us. Not us, Compass Church, us individuals at Compass Church. Moms, dads, single people, college students, retirees. God, I pray that we would experience your personal and individual care and that we would have a confidence to say, you move toward me. Ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. You can have a seat. So what's happening here? There's a lot of details we just got about, okay, so the disciples are fishing. Peter jumps in the water. They catch a ton of fish. They get breakfast. What exactly is going on? We have to keep in mind, this is all happening on the crux of right after Jesus' resurrection. But what happened before Jesus' resurrection was Jesus' crucifixion. And what happened before Jesus' crucifixion was Peter denies Jesus three times. They say, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? Nope. Wrong guy. Hey, don't you know him? Not me. Hey, aren't you? I said, I don't know him. He starts cussing. Like, no, he doesn't. Read it. Read it. He's a, he, he gets a sailor's mouth, all right? He's pretty intense. He's like your mother-in-law at Thanksgiving, okay? He gets like, I don't know him. Why is that a big deal? Because earlier in John's gospel, we see Peter. He's this really fun character, but he's just like the willpower energizer bunny. He's just like, I'm going to be the best disciple I can be. I'm going to really do this. So remember in John 13, on the night Jesus is preparing, he's going to get betrayed. He's going to wash his disciples' feet. What does Peter say? Hey, you don't need to wash my feet. I'm cool. Like, keep that in mind. He, he had seen Jesus wash all the other disciples' feet. He's like, you don't need to. <laughs> These guys, yeah, you don't need to do me. Remember Jesus like, hey, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have a part of me. He's like, well, clean all of me then, right? He's still doing this like, I got it. I'm worthy to be your disciple. We see later on in in chapter 13, Jesus predicts that he's going to be betrayed and the disciples are going to abandon him. And then what does Peter say? Lord, I, not we, keep in mind, I would never do that. I, not we, will follow you to death. Think about how awkward that would be. You're like, what? What? 
Peter. He's like, no, these clowns, maybe, not me. Okay? Has any of you ever been pulled over by the, uh, the police? Okay, I, I have been pulled over, not lately, but in my youth, I got pulled over all the time. Like, I just think they were, they, I drove a silver VW Beetle, and I think they just were like, ah, we're going to balance the budget. It was ridiculous. One time, though, I got pulled over, and I wasn't driving. My, my really good friend was driving. And this really good friend is not afraid of the police. Have you ever been pulled over with someone who's not afraid of the police? It is a terrifying experience. You're like, why? License and registration? Why? What are you doing? Like, what are you, what are you doing to have a gun? What did I do? Why are you pulling me over? And it's like, uh, you need to come out of the car. It's like, oh, we're getting out of the car, right? This is like, what's happening? I, sir, I, he, I've been kidnapped. I'm not with him. <laughs> right? Thanks for rescuing me, right? It's terrifying being with someone who has just no fear of the police. The night Jesus gets arrested, what happens? Peter's like, hey, I'll save you, Jesus. And he pulls out a sword and starts swinging. Okay? That's, that's not cool if you're like Nathaniel or if you're James and John. You're like, what the heck, dude? The Roman army, we talked about this two weeks ago, was not, they were, they were anti-Semitic. All right? I doubt that they lacked the nuance to be like, okay. You 11 over here, you, well, you 10 over here, we just have a beef with your friend right here, so we're going to let you guys just stand there, and I'm going to really watch you. You guys just take a nap. You got a Kindle? Go read. We're just going to deal with this one guy who's the problem. No, think about how selfish that is of Peter. He's like, hey, I'm a good disciple. I'll, I'll protect you, Jesus. And now all the other disciples are in danger. Does it make sense then what Jesus asks Peter in John chapter 21? I believe it's in verse 15, he says this, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Like, what's the these? Is it the fishing? No, it's not the fishing. It's the other disciples. He's like, hey, do you love me more than they love me? Now, for those of us who live in the world we live in, that sounds terrifying. It's like, yeah, I'm getting called out publicly. Um, Miss Allie, Luke's wife, she's out, of, she's out of town for the weekend, and so she commissioned Amy and I to, to help take care of Luke. And so we went to True Falls. He doesn't need taking care of it, but, but we went to True Falls. Anybody else? Anybody else? Oh my goodness, nobody. It is like the best kept secret in Columbia. It's so fun. It's great. It's a documentary film festival right over there. So anyway, we're at True Falls, and we watched this video about a high school varsity mariachi team. It was incredible, right? And so this mariachi team is, like, competing, and as you can expect with any, like, public high schools and, like, extracurricular programs, any band, any of those things, they're underfunded. So you're watching this underdog story of a high school music team who's, like, competing, and there's other schools that, like, I mean, you could palpably hear it. It was wild. Like another, they show another school's team, and they just start playing. And it was like, like, blew you back. It was amazing, right? And then our school that we've been following comes up, and it's like kind of sad, right? Like, Burr. And so they get their score, and this is what the coach, who you've been following, you like this coach. You've been following him in the documentary. He's like, in the 35-year history of this school, we have never scored as low as we scored today. We're used to correction like that. That's correction. 
that bumps up against our identity. That's correction that's like, you didn't do enough. And what we can read into that correction is because you're not enough. There's 35 years of students who have been enough. And now that you, the sad train appears and you are not enough. And we're like, yeah, how do I become enough? How do I, I'm not enough. My identity says I'm not enough. How do I become enough? I try harder behavior. But it doesn't actually get at the identity. Jesus when he moves towards Peter, is not getting at, hey, Peter, not cool to deny me three times. That was embarrassing. I really needed you to be there for me, and you denied me three times. You know what that feels like, Peter? Do better. It's not what he does. It's not what he does. He moves toward them. All right, verse 3. John 21, verse 3 says this. Peter says, I'm going out to fish. Some commentators say, oh, see, Peter's like giving up on the faith. That's not true. All right, uh, this, is, this is before Whole Foods. This is before Instacart. You're hungry, you gotta get your food. So Peter's like, hey, I'm hungry. I have a skill set because I'm a fisherman. So I'm going to go get lunch. And they're, oh, we'll come with you. All right, that's what this is. He's not giving up. He's not depressed. He's just going out to fish. We'll come with you. Verse four, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. What do we see there? Jesus came to where they are. He's moving toward them, right? My disciples are fishermen. I told them to go wait here till the promise of the Spirit comes. I know where they are. I'm moving toward them. So they, they move toward him. They come, they come to the shore, and what do they find there? John 21, verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. So Jesus is already moving toward his disciples. And what has he done? He's created a fire of burning coals. Why is that significant? Are we making too much of this? The only other time John's gospel uses that word, a fire of burning coals. It's one word in Greek. It's used in John chapter 18, verse 18. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire of burning coals they had made to keep warm. This is what happens next. Peter denies Jesus three times. What's Jesus doing? He's moving toward He's moving toward his bride who had failed. And he's not trying to reason with him. He's trying to say, hey, let's get at this identity thing. You feel like a failure. Let's go back to that night. Let's recreate the scene. And you're like, man, that feels harsh. That's because Jesus isn't your high school coach. Like We're like, see, here's the failure. No, no, how do we know that? Look again with me in, at verse 9. There's the fire of burning coals, but what's on that fire of burning coals? Fish and bread. Okay, it's weird that Jesus brought fish. Why? Because they just caught 153 fish. Why did he bring fish? He didn't need to bring fish. He's like, hey, flip on the other side. Remember that whole thing? And then Peter, nice guy, makes them haul it all in. I know, if I was one of these disciples, I'm like, Peter, I got a list, bro. Jesus didn't need to bring the fish. They had the fish, all right? And he's also not doing what Luke's gospel does. In Luke 24, it says that Jesus ate food to prove to them that he had bodily rose. We get no record of Jesus eating here. Why does it say there's fish and there's bread? Those, those two words, fish and bread, are only other used one other time in John's gospel. It's John chapter 6 when Jesus feeds the 5,000. He looks out on the crowd and he meets their needs. Jesus is saying, hey, disciples, remember that time I met needs? Now it's my turn to meet your needs. 
He's caring. He's attuning. He's moving towards. How is God moving toward you today? He's moving toward. We can trust. This is what it looks like when Jesus believes in you. This is what it looks like when Jesus has said, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm giving you my bride, my allegiance. You're my bride. He moves toward the bride and he provides for our needs. That's called attunement. When we receive correction without attunement, it's so harsh. Right? Like when you're, you come back from that soccer game and the kid runs off the field, how'd I do, mom and dad? Ah, you missed three shots. Harsh. Now, is it true? Did that kid miss three shots? Totally. Without attunement, it just comes across as super harsh. And then that shame monster keeps just being fed. Identity. A telltale sign of shame is judgment. You know you're in a high shame culture when you're in a judgmental culture group of people. When we can't process shame, we have this condemning spirit toward others. Think about Peter. Hey, I won't deny you. I mean, I can't speak for these clowns. I won't deny you. What if that's shame? And now, what's he done? He didn't just deny once. He denied one, two, three times. Lots of shame. Lots of shame. So then what happens? See, Jesus is recreating the scene and he's putting his arm around Peter, saying, let's go back there. Let's go back to your worst nightmare. And I'm not going back like your high school coach. I'm meeting your needs. I'm attuned to you. I see you, Peter. I know you. I knew you'd be fishing. I came to where you were. I knew you'd be hungry. I fed you. Because I know you. Because you're my bride. Identity. Jesus is not like, okay, guys, sit down. I have a chalkboard. Okay, we're going to go through Isaiah because you've got to understand Isaiah to understand why I'm really doing this. All right, now, I, I live in that world. I love that world. I experience God's presence in amazing ways. We're like, oh, wow, the reason Jesus says they're fishermen is because it's an echo back to Jeremiah 17. Holy cow, God's amazing. I'm not belittling that. But you can't reason someone out of something they weren't reasoned into. You can't reason someone out of something they weren't reasoned into. Peter wasn't reasoned into, I'm a failure. i got to try harder. His experience told him that. And so Jesus is recreating a new experience. A new experience that's working to deal at the identity. Who are you, Peter? And so what, what is it? Peter denied Jesus how many times? One, two, three. So what does Jesus do? Verse 15, when they'd finished eating, there's no rush here. He meets their needs. We're done eating. Not like, okay, now that I fed you, here we go. No, he, he, he's attuned. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Think about how life-giving that would be if you're James and John. You're like, yeah, he noticed too. All right, Peter, you were doing all this stuff. You put me in a ton of danger, and, and now, all right, that's healing. That's correct. And there was, a, there was a public failure. And so Jesus like, let's deal with it publicly. Let's heal everybody involved. Let's work toward this together. He says this, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. One. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Two. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three. Jesus is trying to work into his bones, into his identity. You're still mine. You're my bride. Just like you had this experience of shame, the redemption is going to go all the way down. The correction does not result in more shame. That's how you know you're being corrected by the Spirit of God. When God's Spirit shows you things that are like, whoa, that's that's what I was doing? That's how people experienced me? I, 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 I would bet lots of money Peter had no idea he put all those folks in danger. And it's, whoa, that's what I was doing? And Jesus is like, I love you. See, we can, because of this unmerited favor, we can look at the failure because we're not looking at the failure with our high school coach. We're looking at the failure with a husband who moves toward us. He knows us. He sees us. And he moves toward us. That is what starts to change our identity. Maybe he does love me. If he loves me at my worst, maybe this marriage proposal is worth considering. And look, this is, this is what, what gets really hard about this because I think, I think we all kind of live in this space too. Right? So here's, here's what um, Peter says. He says, hey, look, if you love me, feed my lambs. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my lambs. He just keeps going back to this thing. He's, he's not saying, if you love me, uh, be a better pastor. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you love me, feed my lambs. That's a metaphor for take care of the church, the bride. This, this, this body that Jesus loves deeply, so much he died. And he's saying this, Feed my lambs, not take care of your lambs. There's a trust happening here. I love you. I trust you. I'm going to give you the most precious thing to me, the church. Take care of my sheep. This is amazing, right? He's not like, okay, you feel bad. In a few years, we'll get you back in the game. He's like, you feel bad. I'm going to deal with that shame, and we're going to keep Moving forward. This is what it looks like when Jesus believes in us, when he's moving toward us, when he's committed to us. It's called unmerited favor, grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a shame-based wretch like me. That's what Newton is saying. I lived in shame. I was a wretch. And Jesus rescued me. And, he, and then he turns and says, follow me. Follow me. And again, Peter being Peter is like, what about these folks? And then, oh, it's probably the hardest lesson for me to learn in following Jesus. God doesn't have to treat me the way he treats my neighbor. Let me say that again, because I don't know if you got it. 
God doesn't have to treat me the way he treats my neighbor. What does that mean? My neighbor may be fully submitted to Jesus. And what does that look like? God has entrusted that neighbor with health and wealth and status, and they just have to learn how to steward that uh, in the kingdom and dole it out. And God trusts me with pain and suffering. It's like, oh, what? What about them? And just like, hey, in this marriage, it's about you and me. See, the judgment's still there a little bit. But the hardest lesson to learn is like, I have a marriage to Jesus. And me following Jesus is going to include different challenges than your following of Jesus. And so it's, it's this looking forward statement Jesus is making. is like, hey, you're committing and there's going to be challenges. We're going to leak again. You're going to be, what about them? Hey, keep your eyes on me. I don't like that. I would like to have the same responsibility you've given them of how to stay humble with all that status. I'm giving you a different challenge. It's how to trust me when you're living paycheck to paycheck. But why can we, why can we face that challenge? Because he's moving toward us. And this little, this little tip of the hat at the end of the book where Jesus is saying, hey, we're going to leak. There's going to be moments when you're like, no, you're going to go back into the shame, you're going to go back to the judgment. There's going to be moments when we leak. And Jesus is like, but you follow me. I think it's an invitation for us to recommit to this commitment. Recommit to following Jesus. Not to recommit the way Peter did at the beginning of the book. I got this. I'm swimming in shame. I'm not good enough, but I'm going to try really hard. Commit to Jesus. That's me. I'll commit to Jesus better than all these people. No, but to say, look, Jesus, this is me. Here's my desires. Here's my identity. Here's who I am, and I trust that you're moving toward me. And I'm just saying yes. I'm committing to recommitting. That's not something we do once. That's something we're doing every single day. Jesus, yes, today. Yes. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.